you, Joe. God bless you. <laughs> oh, you better wait till I'm done before you say that. Have a seat, please. Are you ready? I don't think so. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, truly present in the most blessed sacrament before us. We come before you, Lord Jesus, and we ask you to reveal yourself to us, that we may come to know you and love you and serve you, that one day we may be with you forever in heaven. We beg you these things, Lord Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay, we're asked, they asked me to talk about the Eucharist tonight, and that's my favorite devotion, of course. And people often will talk about the Eucharist as a thing. The Eucharist isn't a thing. The Eucharist is Jesus, is very the God of the universe. Huh? And the audacity of the humility of God, that the God of the universe cannot even begin to contain would humble himself before us in the most blessed sacrament is the greatest image of who God is. That God is always giving of himself for us. Now, if you pull out your Bibles, please, with me. <laughs> really, people of God, don't you pull out those phones, you little pagans. Uh-uh-uh-uh. The Bible, it's so important. Now again, I am an Irish German. So is there any Germans around here? Yeah, I figured. Anyway, so often Germans, like I'm, I'm the pastor for 20 years of St. Joseph Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. And so 20 years I've been there. And when I first got there, you know, Germans always know what's going on, what they think, right? And so and I sat there and started saying, bring Bibles and all that stuff. A person would sit there and say, Father, yes, I've been going to church for the last 80 years. And no priest ever said I had to bring a Bible to church before. Or I had to read the Bible, Father. And I said, let me look. Yeah, I don't see any dirt on top of your head. That means you're not dead yet. You can still learn something. Ain't I a miserable human being? But the reality is we've got to get to know the word because St. Jerome says ignorance of the Bible is ignorance of Christ. You know, so to get and get into the word, you know, again, like me every day, that's what I always go into. What does God want to say to me? Because if not, I'll talk to myself. I'll let the world, the flesh, and the devil talk to me. And again, so what do you? what's the first thing you do in the morning when you get out of bed? Do you sit there and turn on the news? Do you sit there and read the paper? Do you go, well, of course you go to the bathroom, but then after you go to the bathroom, what do you do? Because what happens is, is we start listening to the world, the flesh, or the devil, instead of listening to God. And what we listen to is what we become. So we can become negative, we can become doubters, we can become people that judge other people, instead of people who listen to Jesus first so that they get from God what God wants to say to them, right? And again, the power of the Eucharist is where all that came. When I sat there and became a pastor 20 years ago, we had no uh, adoration in the whole diocese of Erie, no perpetual adoration place. And so I went to the bishop 
Troutman in those days, God rest him. And I says, uh, Bishop, I'd like to start perpetual adoration in my diocese. He goes, no. And I says, okay. So I start building the adoration chapel. And then uh, I went back to him and I said, Bishop, can we start perpetual adoration in the parish? He said, I told you no. Okay. So then we have, you know, my church is an old German church. We're 157, 157 years old. And uh, my high altar and all came from Cologne, Germany. In fact, it says right on the back, the church is older in the back altar, of course, but right on here it says, uh, uh, Joseph Schmidt, Cologne on the Rhine, 1910. And so they brought this hand-carved, uh, beautiful German altar there. And my windows are from Germany and that, so it's beautiful. But my St. Joseph is a high, high, it's higher than that center back altar of St. Joseph. And so I climbed on the altar. I took a miraculous medal. I placed it at the foot of St. Joseph. And I said, Joseph, the bishop said, no. But I know you'll say yes. So I went back to the bishop and I said, Bishop, can I start perpetual adoration? He says, I told you no. And I said, well, I already went to St. Joseph. He said, yes. And he says, I don't care who you went to. I said, no. So when we started adoration, it was a fantastic time in our diocese. And we started it on Ash Wednesday and Bishop was there and he blessed the place. And when he, uh, when he uh, asked me why I wanted to do it, I sat there and says, I want to do it for the holiness of my people and to close the damn abortion clinic. Because I'm on 24th Street and on 18th Street there is an abortion clinic. He said, don't say those things. And so when, uh, when the TV and cameras come, because we're the only place, the TV and the uh, uh, newspapers were there, Father, can we ask you, why are you doing this? I said, for the holiness of my people and to close the damn abortion clinic. Can we quote you, Father? Please. <laughs> so on the front page of the local edition, it says, Father Larry's going to close. They took the word damn out, the abortion clinic. But again, for the first part, like to join my parish. I'm an inner city parish. I mean, inner, inner, inner city. We were the third parish in Erie, Pennsylvania, 150 years ago, because we were an offshoot right outside, and then the Irish were there. The Irish had their own parish, and of course, the Irish and Germans aren't going to worship together, so they all had to build their own places and everything. So when I, I sat there and did took over this parish, I sat there and I says, uh, two things. I says, the very first uh, Sunday I ever gave a homily. So I'm a young priest then, and they thought I was going to come destroy the parish, and I restored it. I put $3 million into this place. You look at my church, it's beautiful. If you ever sit there and watch me with Dr. Ray on EWTN on Saturday night, it's filmed in my parish. You can see the back altar and everything, so you, you can watch it with Dr. Ray. But when I got there my first uh, Sunday, I says, hey, I am your new pastor, you poor people. So there's one thing I ask you, don't you ever insult God in my presence. And I said, so if you ever walk out that door, and this is, ours is very similar, it's one door. If you ever walk out that door before the final blessing without diarrhea running down your leg, don't come back. What did you say? 
what did you say? And so the next week I stood out there and the other priest had the mass and there was a couple walking out the door before the final blessing, right after communion. And I said, hey, come here. Yes, Father? Oh, come back. What? What, Father? And I says, if you, if God isn't worth your time, you're not going to stay in this parish and think you're holy. I says, why? Because that's called the Judas shuffle, right? Who's the first one we know left the first mass? <laughs> Judas, the Judas shuffle, huh? And so these people right from the beginning thought, our pastor's nuts, right? Because my job is to get people to heaven. It's not to make you feel good. I did not come when I drove up here. To, I was in Waco, Texas, giving a talk. And so, uh, I, you know, because of the Rome boys, they sat there and they asked if I would come and come over. And I'm thinking, sure. No idea. It was three hours in the middle of nowhere. You know, nowhere. I'm like, holy cow, there's not even a Walmart. I don't know what's going on. Anyway. So anyways, as I'm coming here, I'm driving the three hours. It's to make sure to challenge you to become saints, right? Because if anyone, and I'll sit there, if you ask, yeah, I'll, I'll sign any book. But if you ask me to sign a book, I'll say, sure, what's your name? And you could say, my name is Joe, the farmer. Oh, how nice. And I'll say, dear Joe, be a saint. God bless Father Larry. And then I'll hand it back to Joe and I'll say, or go to hell. <laughs> now, are you people, you're, you're not used to someone like me, are you? Your father is very gentle <laughs> and very nice, isn't he? He's a good, good man. And then you got me. But any reason, the reason it is, because that's the only option you have, gentlemen and ladies. You become a saint or you go to hell. So too often people want God to be Barney. Remember Barney, the big purple dinosaur? I love you, you love me. And we want God to be Barney. But isn't it amazing to make money, you gotta work hard, 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 hard. 30 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 80 hours a week if you're a farmer, hard, hard, hard. And then you get a little bit of stuff. You wanna be a good football player, work out every day, hard, hard, hard. But you wanna go to heaven? Well, don't get mad, don't get mad. But could, 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 could you try to go to Mass on Sunday? Could, could you just try? Don't get mad. And, and, and then maybe you could stay to the end. Oh, don't get mad at me, don't get mad. You know, we make Barney this fool. We make God this fool. That you do it your way. You do know the theme song of everybody in hell, right? There's Jesus calling. The theme song of everyone in hell is I did my That song should have been written for Germans. I'm telling you. We love and again just as an aside, my great 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 grandmother was Elizabeth of Hungary. Saint Elizabeth of Hungary, who died at 24 years of age. She's a German saint, you And her daughter, Sophia, is on a direct line. If she would not have had sex, I would not be here. And isn't it amazing? Because I just found this out. They did the whole genealogy, and because you can trace all this stuff easily in the Catholic Church. And our big back altar, our altar in the back is about four times this size. 
And at the very top on the right, and I say mass on this back altar all the time, and on that top right is St. Elizabeth of Hungary, my grandmother, who's been looking down at me all these years. And it just freaks you out. But again, her call to me, my call to you, the call from Jesus is to be saints. And what is a saint? Someone who goes to heaven. So everybody want to go to heaven? Yes. Anybody want to go to hell besides Joe? <laughs> uh, anyway, but that's the point. We all want to go to heaven. So what does that mean? To go to heaven, to be holy, is when God's will and my will become one. Huh? And so, when it comes to come back to when I started perpetual adoration, the first part was for my people to be holy. So when I started it, I said, everyone has to do a holy hour. The men will do in the middle of the night. Like my holy hour is, I do a holy hour every day, but my holy hour for the adoration chapel is from three to four in the morning on Friday. Every week, every week, every week. And all the men, I won't let the women in there because we're an inner city parish all night by themselves. So every one of us have an hour. So then to do that, like all my extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, they must do a holy hour if they're going to give out Jesus. No extraordinary devotion, no extraordinary minister. So then I had people leave my church because they went to the cathedral, which is only about eight blocks down, because Father Larry's too demanding. And I says, oh, yes, when you're on your deathbed taking your last breath, I can't believe my pastor made me spend an extra hour in prayer. How dare he? That'll never happen. You do realize that, the, what's, he, what's the teaching? Most of us here are older, huh? Uh, what's the teaching of the church? Who made me? God made me. Why did God make me? God made me to know him, to love him, and serve him in this world so I can be happy with him forever and the next. So the whole purpose of life is to know God. So the first question i got to ask you people is do you know God? Not about God. You know, like again, when I used to, my first CD, I, no, I was a member the old uh, cassette play, cassette CD, cassette tapes. That was my first thing that ever came out was with the Mary Foundation. And with that was a confession, and right on there it says, for adults only. Because I'm explicit in what I'm talking about in the Sixth Commandment. For adults only. So my boys, I taught anywhere from 650 to 700 boys every year. One year we had 666 boys. Six, 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 the sign of the Antichrist. So we threw one out the first week, get rid of that number. Anyway, but these boys would sit there and tell everybody, Father Larry puts out adult tapes. And it was true, adults only. And again, but the reality was I would sit there and I'd challenge the boys too and I'd say, they can know a lot about me. I go all over. I was in uh, Australia about four years ago and every day, packed house, these people, I don't know how they ever got, I said three talks every day, everywhere from Melbourne and then Sydney and then Perth, every day. And so these people would come up to me and say, Father, I have all your talks. I know all your stories. I go, that's great but you don't know me. I do know you, Father. Are you kidding me? All these stories, everything I know, I got it all. I says, yeah, but it's like my boys used to sit there and say, Father, how come you sound so nice on your tapes? Ah. 
because I'm not always nice. I am a human being. I have issues. And the reality is, it's the same with Jesus. You can know a lot about Jesus, but not know Jesus, right? You can come into his presence and not get to know him unless you shut up. But when it talks about to know God, the only way you get to know God, or the only way you get to know anyone, is by what? Spending time. Now, to be able to spend time with God is the most important thing, is prayer. People, praying is more important than breathing. What is that? Praying is more important than breathing. If you stop breathing, what happens? You die. If you stop praying, what happens? You die forever. Because God gives us mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, if you will, every time we pray. And when we pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament, Oh, please. It's everything. It makes all the difference. You know, I do priest retreats because I'm an old guy now. And so when I go around doing priest retreats, my challenge to priests is you must do a holy hour. People of God, I wake up every morning at 3.55 in the morning, except when I'm on the road because I don't know where I'm at half the time. But anyway, I get up at 3.55 in the morning every night, every day, so I can be with Jesus early in the morning and put my holy hour and be with him. So that way I can give my life away to everybody else. But I've been doing this for, I've been ordained 33 years, so all those years, and then in seminary, I'd spend four hours a day before him. Why? Because it's the only way to get to know God, is you gotta spend time with him. You know, some of you are gonna say, no, 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 I go to mass on Sunday when I feel like it. That's not enough, not even close. You've got to learn to spend time, and if you can do it in front of Jesus in the most blessed sacrament, it'll transform you. It's like you ever now, down here, you have more sun than we do in Erie, Pennsylvania, you know. And while you are there and the sun is out, if you go out and there's a beach there, the more you get naked on the beach, the more of a suntan or a sunburn you'll get. Is that correct? Yes. So when you spend time before Jesus in the most blessed sacrament, and you get naked before him spiritually, you'll get an S-O-N tan or an S-O-N burn just by being with him. And again, people just don't get it. You know, so again, like at my place, okay, everybody does a holy hour, men do it in the middle of the night. Here we go, we're going to do this. And I'll get up on Sunday if there's an opening, and I'll say, okay, there's an opening. Someone fill that hour by the end of this mass. And they know, okay, don't get father crazy. Because I'll get up and I'll say, okay, you want me to close the little adoration chapel? You want me to look at the Lord, the God of the universe and say, I can't get my people to give you an hour a week? I said, you're going to spit in God's face here in my presence? Okay, Father, shh. But then, okay, so we started that. All the people, we, everybody, we have kids, we have great families. Everybody comes in and spends time with Jesus so they can get to know him. Because you do realize, at the end of your life, the God of the universe is going to give you what you love the most, correct? So what if... Right there, you had a heart attack and died. It scared you. Joe passes out. Dead. And then the God of the universe comes to you and says, you whom I love, my beloved son or daughter, I love you so much, I'll now give you what you love the most forever. Would that be him? And could you prove that you love him by the time you spend with him every day? 
Do you build your life around God or do you fit God into your day? Huh? Like often, I hear confessions more than most, most any other priest in the United States when I do conferences and different things. That's what I talk most about. So I have what we call the questions. So you can get, if it's been 60 years, I can get you in and out of a confessional in 60 seconds. People, I don't know, and I'll cover every sin you've ever done, I promise. So the first question I always ask is, do you pray every day? You know what the answer is? No, they're not usually that, uh, that thing. They don't want me to hit them first. The answer is, I try. And then I go, come here. What? Do you try to eat every day, sir? Do you try to watch TV every day, sir? Do you try to go to work every day, sir? No, Father. Then why do you try to pray? It's more important than breathing. And it proves to God that you love him above everything else. Because people, what you love is what you give your time to. Is that correct? Am I lying to you? You know, the challenge here is, again, you got to put... Remember, when someone asked Jesus, or, well, you know, Jesus tells us, what's the greatest commandment? You shall love the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Not try to fit God into your day every day. That's why it's most important you got to pray. And then, okay, so here we go. So I say we're going to sit there and, uh, for the holiness of my people, and by God's grace, we've had a lot of vocations come from my parish. Fantastic. But that's still not enough. They're killing babies six blocks down from where we're worshiping the God of the universe. So I says, we're going to stop. Okay, we'll see this. And so all the papers quoted it. We started adoration 18 years ago on Ash Wednesday. And I'm a, my parish is only about 400 families. So it's not like, oh, we have all these families that come. Oh, we have all these families that are dedicated. Anyway, and everyone in my parish is pro-life. You couldn't, because again, to join my parish, you got to go through three classes. And I teach all three classes. <laughs> and in the city of Erie, we have 32 parishes. So it's no big deal. Just go to another couple blocks and you can go somewhere else. But I have one of the biggest growing parishes around. And again, just this uh, last week, I've had uh, 10 new families join the parish, kids and everything else, going through my classes. And so the first class is, what does it mean to worship God? And I talk about adoration, about signing up for adoration. I talk about you got to uh, be obedient to the church. I say you can always come, but to be a member, we all got to be on the same page. You must be pro-life, period. There's not like, well, I'm not sure. Well, then go join somewhere else. God's pro-life, sorry. He, and again, isn't this amazing? Some people say, well, I don't agree with you, Father. Well, enjoy hell. God does not ask you if you agree with him, right? That's the reality. We say yes or no. We don't tell God how to run the universe. It's so amazing to me as when people come and they're very much like, oh, I don't buy that stuff, Father. I don't have to listen to God. I say, how many kids you have? Five. Well, what if your kids come home to you and say, and you have a rule, your kids got to be in bed at 8 o'clock or in school nights. But your five kids get together one day and says, uh, you know that rule? We voted last night. And we don't like that rule. We're going to come in and go to bed 
at 11 on school nights. What will you do? What? You'll now be in bed at 7. Is that true? Is there anyone here, German, that wouldn't do that to their children? You know, again, but do you do that because you hate your children? You do that because you love them. And if you, who gave life to your children, have the right to tell them what to do, how much more the God of the universe who created you out of nothing can tell you what to do? And you can agree or you can disagree, but you cannot change what God says. He is the one you and I will stand before in judgment. And that's why it's so important that we know what God says, which the Bible will tell us, and we get to know God, which we'll do in the Blessed Sacrament. So anyway, as an aside, so what's it mean to praise God, worship God? Second is what does it mean to uh, uh, um, serve? So I have a, a saying in my parish, though it comes from Thessalonians, those who do not work should not eat, right? So everybody has to do something for the parish besides give money at least once a year. <laughs> really? Yes, even if you're in a nursing home, you've got to be on the prayer list where you're praying for everybody else because now you are a, a, a monk or a nun. You're in there praying for the rest of us. So everybody has to do something. And then, of course, you know, uh, and we talk about the tithing, and then what does it mean to serve and what does it mean to, uh, to make Jesus Lord of your life? And so you've got to go through those. And if you want to, then we have a big celebration to join the parish. So go back to the... Uh, thing of uh, uh, the abortion clinic. So we start praying on Ash Wednesday. June 1st of that year, the abortion clinic closed. And the newspapers and that called me and says, Father, are you taking any credit? I says, of course I'm not taking any credit. You cannot kill babies this close where we worship the God of the universe and he humbles himself before us. But what happens if it opens again, Father? We'll close it. Two years later, the abortion clinic opened in the same place. What are you going to do, Father? We're going to pray it closed. I don't go nuts over these type of things. Because God is in charge, and God always wins. I hope you know that. So we start praying. You know how long the abortion clinic stayed open? I have all this on paper. We have all the front page paper. I got all the articles. Anyway, two weeks, and it closed again. They sold the abortion clinic. There has not been one abortion in the 13 counties of the Diocese of Erie, Pennsylvania for over 16 years, right? And the reason is because of Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. Jesus is more powerful than a nuclear bomb. We just don't buy it. We just don't believe it. But you've got to start believing that the God, at this very, very moment, ladies and gentlemen, all the angels and saints are bowing down before Almighty God, and they're worshiping him. And we got to learn to do the same. You know, my grandmother had a, a, a ditty that she used to say all the time. Every time I pass a church, I stop and make a visit. So when the time comes when I'm wheeled in, you know, in a casket, he won't say, who is it? Every time I pass a church, I stop and make a visit. So when the time comes when I'm wheeled in, he won't say, who is it? Now, I don't know, how is your church open every day here? Yeah, so you could, on the way to work, not on the way home, you could stop by and see Jesus and say, Jesus, come with me home. Jesus, come with me to work. And you stop and make a visit. Or if the church is open, you just come and sit with him. 
You know, there's nothing greater when people sit with God in the Blessed Sacrament. I once did a, a parish mission in Carmel, Indiana, which is outside of Indianapolis. And so I get there, and the church held about uh, 1,200 people, big church in Carmel, if you've ever been up to Our Lady Mount Carmel. And but we had 1,500 people a night. So standing room only, out in the vestibule, everywhere, every night, I'm thinking, what the heck's going on here? They have a Catholic school there, packed, run by beautiful nuns, full habit. You know how much the tuition is? Zero. They have a medical clinic there. You know how much it costs to get the medical clinic? Zero. They have a dental clinic. You know how much it costs to go to the dental clinic? Zero. I had a collection because at the end of a mission or anything else, all I do is survive on what people give us to the foundation. You know what my collection was at that parish? Zero. Yeah. No, no. $35,000. And I'm sitting there, and this is, oh, it's 10, 15 years ago now. But anyway, I'm sitting there thinking, what is going on here? And I knew what was going on because they had a perpetual adoration chapel there, just like I do right now up their church, and I would walk in that perpetual adoration chapel three or four times a day, and who was there on his knees every time I was in there? The pastor. There's power in the Eucharist. Again, we sit there and think this is, you know, I, I stopped having parish council and I got another way, because usually parish council is just a bunch of people like complain about things. Shut up, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what God can't do. I want people of faith that can tell me what God can do. It's people that just go around and say negative things, and they're the leaders. That's why the church is dying. The number one problem in the Catholic church today is what? Does anybody know? And it's not the scandals. It's a lack of faith. Again. I don't know how old you confirm your kids up here, but usually like in our diocese has always been juniors in high school moving it up because they just want kids to be confirmed now. But the reality is, you ever see kids when they get confirmed? They go up to bishop slaps, when they used to bishop used to, remember those of who are older? The bishop would slap you when you got confirmed. Shut up, man. Nowadays it's like, we've become a wimpy church, but anyway. So here it is. So you go and you watch your kids get confirmed. They go up there. The person puts her on and the bishop's, what's your name? Oh, Joe, Joe, whatever it is. And then you go back. And is there any difference between your kids? No. Why? They don't have faith. For a sacrament to work, ladies and gentlemen, this is the teaching of the Holy Catholic Church. I've been doing this a long time. For a sacrament to work the way it's supposed to work, faith is needed to unlock the sacrament. So, you go to communion. And again, that's why I get back to the people who walk right out the door. But anyway, you go to communion, the priest says, the body of Christ, or the minister, or the deacon, whoever's doing it, the body of Christ, and what do you respond? Amen. And what does amen mean? No, oh, it's much more than I do believe, huh? Make sure you listen to my talk on the Mass. Oh, my. It's much more. Are you kidding me? Amen is the amen stake. So what happens was when you were building a tent, the last stake was the amen stake that you'd hammer in. 
So what amen means, ladies and gentlemen, is I would stake my life on what you just said. So let's say, Jesus again, so let's say that right now someone comes walking in here, or we're in the, we're in the middle of mass, let's say we're in the middle of mass, and I just brought forth, or your pastor just brought forth, and the bread became Jesus, right? And what we believe is the bread becomes Almighty God, transubstantiation. Not something like God, not something to remind us of God, God himself. Now, radical Muslims come walking in the back doors with machine guns, and they're up here. And they come out, and they come to everybody in this church, and they say, those of you who believe that that white disc piece of bread is God, you stay and die. Those of you who don't believe it, you may leave. I wonder how many of you would get out and run out that door and how many of you would stay. But every time you go to communion and you say amen, you're saying, I would die for the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Amen. I believe with my life that this is God. And again, that's why too many people, they don't believe it. That's why it doesn't change their lives. Again, when you go to communion, you walk right out the door, you show you have no faith. You're a pagan who goes to church. Why do you go to church? Because they told me if I miss mass, I go to hell. That's why some of you go to church every week. And if the only reason you go to church is so you don't go to hell, who do you love? Yourself. It's an act of selfishness. You gotta, gotta believe. And you gotta ask for that so that you would be willing to lay down your life for God the way he laid down his life for you. See, that's the thing. Faith is so important. And the crisis of the church is people just don't buy it anymore. When I told my bishop we were gonna close the abortion clinic, he laughed. I knew it was gonna happen. Not because of me but because of God himself. It's his will that we don't kill children. And if we agree with his will and we start believing he can do anything, he can do anything. Do you know Sister Bridge McKenna? Anybody ever hear Sister Bridge here? Oh, she's, she's an Irish nun. She deals with priests now, but she used to go around. She does parish missions and that. She will not go to a parish unless she can spend four hours with front of the Blessed Sacrament. Four hours. And as she falls and she's there, then she has healing services and great, great miracles happen. But she makes sure that she spends four hours every day on her knees in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, I got to meet Mother Teresa three times in my life. And the one time, Mother, of course, even in her 80s, when she was very frail, she would spend an hour on her knees with no kneeler in front of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And I got a chance years ago to say Mass, Mother was already in heaven, but to say Mass with the, uh, the missionaries of charity outside of Rome. And so my classmate would say Mass there. And so I was in Rome for one of my kids was being ordained. And so he says, would you like to go? And I said, I'd love to go. And so here we go and we get into the, uh, we get there, we, we're on the other side of Rome, so we had to get up, take a bus, go to the Termini, take a train and get to the place. And we had to do it very early because their mass was like six in the morning. And this was in October. 
And so we get there and there's a big courtyard with a gate around it, you know, brick and everything. So we ring the doorbell and the mother of the order at that time, she came out and she saw us and she's smiling, happy from ear to ear. And I'm thinking, how is this woman so happy? It was about 5.30 in the morning. I believe in the Lord's Supper, not the Lord's breakfast myself. But anyway, <laughs> so we're getting in there and we're walking through to get into the chapel. And here's these nuns in their habits. You know, their simple habit look like Mother Teresa. And here they are. They don't have running water at these places. Mother did not want them to have running water at any of the convents at that time. And so they used to have those pumps like that. You probably still have them here, don't you? Those pumps. <laughs> Oh, you don't have enough water here, I forgot. Yeah, anyway, so anyway, so they'd have those old pumps to get in and out uh, to get some water. So here are these nuns that are filling these big kettles, pumping the water into the kettles, and some of them are chopping the wood, and they're making fires. And these sisters would take these big kettles and put them on the fire, and that's how they did their laundry every day. And these nuns were smiling from ear to ear. Ladies, would you be excited smiling from ear to ear if you were chopping the wood, da 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 Anyway, so then we get ready to go to Mass, into the chapel. And we get into the chapel, it was quite very stark. Just a, a big wooden floor, no chairs. Well, no, I'm sorry. They had two chairs because two priests were coming. And we, we priests like to be pampered, like, please, I'm a, I'm a holy father, please. Anyway, but the nuns... Are, first of all, before you go into the chapel, you had to take off your shoes. First time in my life I said Mass in my stocking feet. And why do you take your shoes off when you go into the chapel? It's holy ground. You think when Moses took off his feet in front of the burning bush, that was something? Jesus is so present here in this very church. We're on holy ground. So you have to take off your feet, take off your shoes, not take off your feet, that'd be bad. Anyway, take off your shoes, and we have to walk around these nuns because the nuns are all doing their holy hour, kneeling on the hard wood. No cushions, just kneeling in front of the God of the universe. And so then, next to the crucifix here, just a big crucifix on the back wall, and next to the crucifix is just two words. Anybody know the words? I thirst. I thirst. The God... Shut up. The God of the universe thirsts for us. When he was on the cross, he thirsts for us. He thirsts for our love. When Jesus is in the Eucharist, he's thirsting for us, waiting for us. And again, like when I taught the boys and I'd sit there and I was a chaplain of the school. And so I'd have uh, bagels and coffee and hot chocolate for the boys every day. But my chapel, my office was here. But right here, to get it right before there is Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. I had him in the center. And so the kids would come running up in the morning and sit there and say, did you go in and see, say hi to Jesus first? No, Father. Well, you get in there. No, that's for you until you go in there and say hi to Jesus. So I'd go in there and say, hi, Jesus. And they'd come running back. And I says, do you want to go to heaven? Well, yes, Father. I said, I don't think so. Because you know what in heaven? You have to spend eternity with him. And you don't even want to spend 10 seconds with him now. You think things are going to change when you're dead? Uh-uh. You have to prove to him now that you want to be with him. Huh? So anyway, so here we go in, and these nuns are on their knees before the Blessed Sacrament. So we have to walk around them. Back there's the big cross, bigger than that. I thirst, that he thirsts for us. We get into the sacristy, 
And then the sacristy is an old thing. I don't, I haven't, didn't spend time in your sacristy, but it used to be in every church. It says, oh, priest of God, pray this mass as if it was your first mass. Pray this mass as if it was your uh, last mass. Pray this mass as if it was your only mass. And so I tell all the people that. I says, every time you go to mass, pray the mass as if it was your first mass. Pray the mass as if it was your last mass, because it could be. Pray the mass as if it was your only mass. And then we come out and we start saying mass. My classmates, the main celebrant, I wasn't on the road in those days. No one had a clue who I was. And so he's sitting there and he's holding up, a, you know, so he's saying mass. So he goes and uh, he's not, we're doing the gospel. So he's doing the gospel and he preaches. And as he's preaching, he starts picking on me. Can you imagine? He would take my ticks, you know, like, huh, huh. But then all these things I say it are my uh, speaking ticks. And you know what the nuns, and the nuns had knelt the whole mass. They were kneeling during the homily. Never got off their knees. You know what the nuns were doing while he was making fun of me? Laughing. <laughs> At me. You do realize when we come to know Jesus, one of the ways we'll come to know that we really have a relationship with him is because, like Jesus in John chapter 15, which is a fantastic uh, book. You should spend time in John 15 when you're in front of the Blessed Sacrament. But here in John 15, verse 11, Jesus says right before he dies, all this I tell you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. John chapter 15, verse 11. Everything God tells us is that we become people of joy. And that's a problem because part, you know, when I go, if I go to a mission at a place, I go to a mission and I send a DVD so they watch it at all the masses before I come on uh, Monday. Well, I used to be, I used to go do it, but it didn't work because I'd always get mad at the people. Because every time I'd come to a church at a Sunday, everybody looked like they were constipated, <laughs> right? Does everybody know what constipated is? <laughs> I'm holy! And, I, and another way of saying constipated is you're full of. Exactly! But anyway, if you and I are followers of Jesus and our face does not show that, there's an issue. We need to be people of joy. And once you get to be a man or a woman who knows Jesus, you can tell that because you're joyful. You're not focused on yourself anymore. The problem people are constipated is because they're in pain. It just is. If you have a toothache, you're focused on yourself. Christianity is the forgetfulness of self, never the focus on self. And see, part of the reality is, is most, and again, and when I say this, don't be offended. If I haven't offended you already, it just gets worse. <laughs> but I believe 90% of people who go to church on Sunday do not know Jesus Christ. They know about him. They wouldn't miss Mass. I call them Notre Dame Catholics. I went to Notre Dame. Anybody here go to Notre Dame? Nobody went to Notre Dame? <laughs> Boy, I am in pagan territory. But anyway, so when you go to Notre Dame, you know, you go to a football game, and that's a sacrament at Notre Dame, you know. 
And so you get there the night before, and the people are going crazy. You go to the Joyce Center, and they're, yeah, 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 yeah. You wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and you start partying the morning before with tailgating, and you're drinking, and you're watching a football game. In the middle of the football game, you're going nuts. And you're going, and if there's 30 seconds left, and you're losing, and all of a sudden, that Notre Dame gets the ball and wins, you're out of your mind. And then those same people go to church. They go to mass right after because all the campus. And the same people are going nuts at the football game where the same people saying, Lord be with you. Also with you. <laughs> lift up your heart. We lift them up to the Lord. And I sit there and I, I can just imagine God saying, how come you went nuts over a pigskin? but you couldn't get excited about my son. What will it cost Jesus to give you the mass? Everything. He dies to give you the mass. What must it cost us when we go to mass? Everything. We must die at every mass we go to. But we got to do it joyfully. We got to do it because... You love me so much. You know, someone told me the other day, it was interesting, because I always tell people when they pass a crucifix, just sit there and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Because you do realize every one of us deserve eternal damnation. Do you know that? I deserve eternal damnation. Joe, please, deserves eternal damnation. <laughs> All of us deserve eternal damnation. If you go to heaven, it's going to be caused what Jesus Christ did for you. Jesus died on the cross for me. So again, when you stand before God, he says, why should I let you in heaven? If you said, I went to Mass every Sunday at St. Joseph in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and go to hell. <laughs> I obeyed all the commandments. <laughs> go to hell. I, and you can say anything, anything you want. The only thing that's going to get you, according to the teaching of the Catholic Church, we are saved by grace. grace. That's why we all, with the Protestants, we all can sing... Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We are saved by grace. So when you stand before God on Judgment Day and he says, why shall it's in heaven? It's because Jesus Christ died for my sin. That's it. You know, again, I was once listening to a radio show when I was working with youth all the time, and it was Thanksgiving, and all the people were, he says, call in and tell us why you're grateful. And so one guy, uh, a teenage boy, called and says, why are you grateful, son? He said, I'm a great football player, and it's all to the glory of God. To God be the glory. Praise God, that's a great thing. Another one, why are you grateful? My family does so much for me. They're so great, this girl says. Da, da, da. And it went on for two hours. High school kids telling why they're grateful to God. The last call was a 14-year-old girl. I'll never forget it. And he says to her, sweetheart, tell us this Thanksgiving. Why are you most grateful? I'm grateful that Jesus Christ died for my sin. Ding, 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 ding. That's a Christian. Now, for some of you, that sounds Protestant, doesn't it? Sounds Protestant to me, Father. Isn't that an issue? Why? 
because as the Pope has talked about, and we need to talk about it more and more, there is a great heresy alive in the church today. It's the greatest heresy, and it's been around for 2,000 years. But you know what it is? Pelagianism. Does anybody know what Pelagianism is? You're going to earn your own salvation. If you can earn your own salvation, this was a waste of God's time. Complete waste of God's time. Because you can be good enough. You can be Mother Teresa, John Paul II, all the saints. None of them earn salvation. We're saved by grace, people. And we show that through faith and through works. But it's all what God... See, did you ever meet these good Catholics that love to tell people what they do for God? I'm an extraordinary minister. I'm a reader. I do this. I do that. That's not a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus tells other people what God has done for them. Sounds Protestant, Father. Isn't that amazing? And when people take their faith for sure, we call them just there must be Protestant. That sounds just weird to me, Father. It's not. But again, that's why people aren't joining Catholic Church, because when you go to Catholic Church, most people look constipated. They just do. They don't, they're not welcoming. They're like, I've never, this is the first time I've ever seen a church where each one of you have your own box back there. I was unbelievable. I thought, whoa, you know, I first thought, boy, then you can tell who came to church on Sunday and who didn't. I said, boy, I need one of those, but I have too many people. But the problem with that is someone else comes in here and you're brand new. Oh, everybody got, they got their own box. I don't have a box. I mustn't be welcome. We got to make sure that we're welcoming everybody. We got to make sure that, you see, when you and I receive Jesus in the Eucharist with faith, you know what happens? Jesus doesn't just stay with you for 10 minutes. Some people believe, I, I had a priest at my parish once that used to sit there and say, Jesus stays with you for 10 minutes after you receive communion. Really? So as soon as you receive communion, the divine stopwatch starts. Tick tock, tick tock, nine minutes and 30 seconds, you better hurry up and spend time with me. Tick tock, tick tock, five minutes, we're going fast. Tick tock, tick tock, one minute. Tick tock, tick tock, 10, nine, eight, seven, Six, five, four, three, two, one. Do you believe that? The day you got baptized, you became a temple of the living God. God lives inside of you. He just doesn't stay. See, what has to happen is when we receive Jesus, the reason we receive him and not just look at him is we need to be transformed into him. And what is God, people? According to the word of God, God is love. Jesus was love incarnate. When we allow ourselves to be transformed, again, what's going to be on my gravestone at 120, because the good die young, is Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Any good ex or any good Protestants here know Galatians 2, 19 and 20? Any Catholics that know Galatians? <laughs> Joe! You don't know Galatians 19 and 20, chapter 2, 19. Don't you put it on your phone, you pagan. I'm my own boy. I don't know Bible stuff. Anyway, so I have been crucified with Christ. So the life I live now is no longer my own. Jesus Christ lives inside of me. I still live my human life. Yes, but it's a life of faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave his life for me. People, our job is to get out of the way and show people Jesus Christ. We must become love in a world that doesn't know love. We must, huh? And so for, uh, for to be a disciple, you gotta do two things. You gotta pray and you gotta love. Pray means you gotta have people, if you're not praying every day, this is a re repentance call. You gotta start to pray every day. And when you pray, you just can't talk to a bunch of words because you can say a rosary every day and still be an atheist, can you not? You can go to daily mass and still be an atheist, can you not? Yes, I promise you, you can. But you have to listen and be in relationship in prayer. But the second thing what you and I got to do is we got to be loved. Remember Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, you all know Jesus. He only gave us one commandment. What was the only commandment Jesus gave us? Love one another as I have loved you. That's John chapter 13, verse 34. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And then the very next verse, he makes it even more explicit. All people will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. So I can submit to you people, you can go to daily mass, say rosaries every day, spend all the time you have in front of the Blessed Sacrament, but if you are not a man or woman of love, you will be damned. And that's not from Father Larry Richards. And you'd know that if you read the Bible more. That's from God himself. All people know that you're mine because you love one another. And so where must all love begin? In our families, correct? And so that's why, like again, I grew up in the city of Pittsburgh. Both my parents were cops. My mother was a cop, graduated highest ever from the Pittsburgh Police Academy, and my father was a cop. He was a canine, we had a white shepherd. And I got to know a lot of police officers. In dealing with these police officers, it's a hard life. Every time you get a call, it's for something bad. Someone killed somebody, someone raped somebody, someone stole something, someone beat somebody up. And so you never get a call and say, hey, officer, I just want to tell you I'm having a great day. <laughs> never happens. Every time you get a call, it's always bad. So some people, to numb that, they start drinking. And they, I've known a lot of police officers become alcoholics. And so I knew one police officer, he became a very bad alcoholic. He left his wife, his kids, and he moved out to Las Vegas, because everybody's happy in Las Vegas, you know. He got a new wife, new kids, he drove a big blue Cadillac, and this is uh, like 40-some years ago, and that means you had arrived. Now you need your Lexus or anything else. But in those days, it was your Cadillac. And so then, after two years in Vegas, he says, well, not everybody's happy here. I am moving to Houston, Texas. Because everybody's happy in Houston, Texas. And he became head of security at a, one of the largest hospitals in the nation in Katy, Texas, right outside of Te uh, uh, Houston. But he kept drinking and drinking and drinking. And I knew him, of course. I knew his family. And his, uh, his wife called me, and I was a senior in the college seminary, because I entered seminary at 17. I'm what you call a lifer. And so he they called me and said, Larry, I know you're really busy, but he'd like to see you. Do you think he'd come out here and be with him before he dies? And I said, of course, I'm a seminarian. That's what I do. So I flew out to Houston, Texas. When I got out there, I wasn't prepared for what I saw. He was this old man, not old. He was 43 years old, one a week away from his 44th birthday in September. Anyway, so I walked in there and I said to him, we're the only two in the ICU and he's in there. And I go, whoa. You look like hell. 
I, I have a negative humor. I don't know if you figured that out yet. <laughs> and he knew I had a negative humor, and he just shook his head. But he couldn't talk to me. He was on a respirator. He had to write everything to me on a, a little green board. And I, I picked on him. That's what I do with people I care about. I pick on him. I'm not the gentle type. So I picked on him. I made fun of him. I prayed with him for a week. I had to leave. So my last time with him, I'd say, hey, listen, I got to go. But you know, I'm going to be graduating in May. It'd be great if you could be there. And he shook his head. But both of us knew this was going to happen. He was going to die. And I said, okay, listen, I'll pray for you. Oh, thank you. Oh, how, how we are. Oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, thank you, seminarian. Thank you, Father. And I start walking out of the room. But I wanted to get one last look at this man because I knew it would be the last time I'd see him. And so I turned around. There he is calling me back desperately with his hands, calling me back. And I go, what's the matter? What's the matter? What can I do for you? And this man took me with what strength he had left, and he grabbed me, and he started hugging me, and he pulled me so close to himself. And as he's holding me real tight, I look up, and I go, yeah. I love you too, Dad. And a little later, my dad died. The only time I ever told my dad that I loved him was on his deathbed. Why? Because he was an alcoholic, and he was a mean alcoholic. And I spent my whole life judging my father instead of loving my father. You do realize a priest, by definition, is a professional lover. We're called to love God and love other people. But I couldn't love my dad because I judged him. The Eucharist that I received every day, I didn't allow to transform me. Because there are people in our life that's hard to love. And so what you do, if Jesus is living inside of you, you say, Jesus, I can't love that person. But you can. Love them through me. Now you let Jesus take control of your life. You don't let yourself. So you need to be doing that. So I'm going to give you some homework because my hour is up. And so you get to leave. Aren't you excited? <laughs> but not without homework. It took me three hours to drive here today. You can handle this. <laughs> you got to sit there and you got to write letters. We'll start with the kids that are here, the few that are here. You got to write two letters before you go to bed. One to your mother and one to your father. And tell them that you love them and why. And it can't be, dear dad, I love you, man, Joe. Nope, doesn't count. You got to tell them why. Parents, if you have 10 kids, it's going to be a long night. <laughs> you got to tell, you got to write a letter to each of your children and tell them that you love them and why. And this isn't like for you to sit there and say, I wish you'd go to church. I wish. This is not the time to be yelling and judging your kids. A lot of your kids don't go to church just to make you mad. Because they think, if that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus, I don't want no part of it. But if you just tell them that you love them, that you're proud of them, that you, you remember when you held them in your arms when they were first born, all the dreams you had for them, and then you tell them that. And the way I want both of you to write these letters is if by tonight, midnight, you or they would be dead. You have no idea how long you're going to be in this life. And you got to sit there and write these letters. And so part of it is, okay, you got to write the letters. But then you got to start telling the people you love that you love them. How often? Every day. Father. Where in the Bible does it say that? Really, you want to ask me? Let me tell you here. Let's go to John chapter 15, verse 9. 
And in here in John, and we've already been there once, it's that love chapter again. In John chapter 15, verse uh, 9, or is it 10? It's 9. Yeah, 9. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Verse 15 of 15, chapter 15, is love one another as I have loved you. So this isn't me telling you. This is God telling you. You got to tell the people you love that you love them. Now, sometimes I go places and say, oh, Father, I'm German. Germans don't do that. Or, Father, I'm an Italian. We do it all the time. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Father, I'm Irish. We do it when we're drunk. <laughs> you don't let your culture determine your faith. Your faith determines your culture. Don't you ever come to me and say, I'm a German, and tell people I love that I love them. Well, go to hell. Stop doing that. It's time for you to repent. Your kids are dying inside to hear from their mother and their father that they're loved by you. And if you are so stingy that you can't tell them that, don't even call yourself a Christian. Let me give you a hint. Some of you are going to completely reject what I told you today. Aren't you good? But let me give you, if you tell your kids and your spouses that you love them every day, I promise you on your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking, I can't believe I told my spouse and my kids that I love them every day. Stupid, stupid, stupid. I promise you that day will never come. But if you don't, I promise you before the God of the universe, as you're taking your last breath on this miserable earth, You'll regret your miserable life. You'll say, how come I couldn't tell my spouse and my kids that I love them? Why was I so afraid? Why was I so prideful that that's what they needed the most and I withheld from them their deepest need? And you'll regret your life. Now again, I've been doing this a long time. Some of you look at me and dismiss me. I get it. But I do promise you, if you can't tell your spouse and kids you love them, very empty in the end. Very empty. So make a decision today. Don't just pray to Jesus in the Eucharist. Receive him. Let him take control. Let him write those letters. Let him tell the people you love that you love them. And your life will be changed. And I promise you, you'll live a life of no regrets. Promise. You got it? You get it? You're going to do it? You better. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you.